Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 151. We've passed the milestone of 150. A huge thanks to everyone who came and joined us live at Bonehead Brewing in Kensington last Sunday. Uh, genuinely great to see so many of our friends come along and drink with us in person. And a huge thanks to the guys from Bonehead who were tapping things straight from the tanks for us to experiment with uh, a treat we don't get to have all that often as a general drinker. Um, so a great afternoon. We've got some more live events coming up. Uh, I may mention them as we go along. Uh, all sorts of exciting things. October is looking amazing. The Oktoberfest uh, pack is now available online. It contains five beers from Schlenkler, who will be joining us live from Bamberg. Uh, that is a huge treat. Uh, I really can't emphasise enough to people who are new to the world of craft brewing just how amazing they are as a brewery. Uh, we're going to be joined by the owner and sixth generation uh, brewer uh, from uh, from Schlenkler. I can't believe we've got them on the podcast. It's fantastic. Burnley Brewing, who are great friends of ours, are coming back with 10 beers uh, as part of their German pack this year. Uh, Slow Lane from Sydney. And then that leaves us a couple more spots in the pack that I'm not going to announce just yet. That may be because I don't know what they are or it may be because I like keeping secrets. You can decide for yourselves. But an amazing October coming up. Don't miss out on the opportunity to grab some of those beers a man who never misses any opportunity, uh, like all Geelong footy club fans, uh, enjoying the sunshine here in Melbourne today and looking forward to an awesome weekend, is Mr Warren Wu. Hello, David Griffiths. Yes, absolutely looking towards a cracking weekend. This is going to be great. Um, our play is going to be shipped down the arrow for the parade, which is a bit of an experiment, but hopefully one that will go well. No one's going to fall in. They're not going to do the. Uh, they're not going to do the Birdman before they go and play the grand final. That's it. Well, one hopes. One hopes. But I like the idea that that there should be like you know like all rivers in the world, uh, the water line tends to be a little bit lower than the banks. So there's like a natural slope, and, I, I, and I'm hoping like that creates kind of a theatrical feel to it where where you know that you're you're kind of on terraces looking down but anyway that's a theatrical feel that might be that might be our first t-shirt for the night yeah <laughs> i think so but yeah it's a great time to be in melbourne it's an amazing time to be in melbourne and i'll be at the ground on saturday so i'm 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 really and utterly thrilled uh yeah this should be yes this should be pretty amazing We'll you're see taking how we the grow. family, or are you going by yourself? No, I'm going with I, my, I'm going with my cousin this year. Um, oh, yeah. Parents, okay, I'll, I'll let you off on this one. Yeah, so that that should be um, that should be awesome. What should also be awesome is welcoming back Hamish from Deep Creek Brewing. It it was episode what did we say like August 2020 episode Ooh. 51. So 100 episodes ago, which is, that's, like, that, that's nuts. 
That's pretty good work from you guys. <laughs> it's been busy. It's awesome. insane. I didn't even, and I, and I actually typed in episode fifty-one into the into our little script notes today without even clocking the fact that it's been a hundred episodes exactly since you were on. That's yeah. It, it's been it's been quite well for us. I don't know about you, David, but I didn't reckon. I I was quite happy with fifty-one episodes, let alone one hundred fifty-one. <laughs> so uh, I think it's been all right. And how have you been, Hamish? What's been happening? What's been going on in the world of world of Deep Creek and other things? Well, we've been pretty busy. Uh, let me first say I'm honoured to be back. Uh, it does seem like it was uh, a shorter time ago than a hundred episodes, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, it, we've had. Well, I think at that time we'd had a lockdown, but not really COVID right through the country. Obviously, <laughs> times have changed. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, everything's kind of through the other side and we're looking onwards and upwards to a new summer. Um, yeah, it's it's been an interesting couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. To say the least. Um, yeah, there's definitely been some challenges along the way. And uh, good times, bad times, and all of the above. Now, given that you've been on, we don't want to cover too much of the same territory. We'll try not to cover too much of the same territory. But we've all, but with particularly with some new listeners, we picked up on the way. Um, can you let us? Can you talk about where in the world we find Deep Creek, and what do we see when we get there, or Deep Creek Brewing? Right, so yeah, Deep Creek uh, was started as a brew pub on uh, North Shore of Auckland uh, in Browns Bay in 2011, I think. Yeah, 2011. Um, we quickly outgrew the, um, the brew pub's capacity to supply beer for the brew pub. So in 2013, we set up a, a production facility a little bit further north of Auckland. Um, I, I knew the founders before they started uh, the brew pub and I joined in early 2013. So in the transition period from brewing on the old kit to the, the new kit, um, so that I think we commissioned that June, July 2013, somewhere around there. Um, we've brewed on that in the production facility um, since then. Uh, this year, we've uh, probably starting last year, we started a project to replace that that brew house because it wasn't um, meeting our demand to supply or other customers. Um, so that's just come online uh, maybe six to eight weeks ago. Been brewing on the a new new brewery. Wow. Um, oh. So, yeah, I mean, what's that? Uh, nine years is pretty good going off that brew kit mm-hmm. and yep. served us well, uh, made a lot of beer, and now we're kind of onwards and upwards from there. We've, um, I guess, should mention we've got out of the brew pub game. We sold, we had, I think at our peak, we had three brew pubs or three, three bars that we supplied from the brewery. Wow. And... Uh, over probably 2017 to 2019, we sold all of those, including former home base. Um, and kind of, I guess the timing worked out pretty good. 
Um, yeah, not on was around the corner in 2020, but um, the new owner of the brew bar in Browns Bay was not disappointed because his um, his business that he sold to get out of was setting up um, concert stages for a massive international acts. So his, yeah. his that, that business didn't come back for uh, a lot longer than uh, pubs will take to get back. So. Can, can we nerd out for a minute just sort of hear about what the specs of the new space you're in are and sort of how that compares? I mean, some people will understand all of this implicitly, but if you can sort of explain a little bit. Just yeah, so sorry. I thought, I thought we were going to get onto it a little bit later. but uh, Oh, no, let's, let's, you, you've, you've <laughs> well, well, we've, we've broken the CLA. Absolutely. Um, That's exactly right. Dangerous, <laughs> dangerous. We remember last time. Go back and check out episode 51 if you're not sure what we're talking Please about. Please <laughs> Um, yeah, so we're the new brew, the new brew house has been set up in the same spot in Silverdale, so the same premises we were in when we set up the original one. We were kind of co located with the cider company, they moved out maybe five years ago. So kind of, we're both getting too big for the warehouse we we're in, so we're in the same spot. We put the new brewery in to the side of uh the old one, so we could kind of run both at the same time or at least set up one because uh, that obviously takes a fair bit of time. So I guess in, in tank space terms, we've kind of got everything in which we're running off the old brewery because uh, obviously shipping delays have been a thing over the last couple of years. So we managed to get all our tanks, all our fermenters over Um so we could kind of run those uh, while we're waiting for the brewery and the brewery set up because we knew that was going to be a little bit uh, longer. Well, there's no point having the brewery there without the tanks to fill. Um, so we've been operating those for at least, well, probably close to a year. And then yeah, I think January was the um, when we got all the, the vessels for the brew house finally into the country and into the building and upright. So that was, uh, I think it was August last year that everything was finished and ready for shipping and delays, 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 mm. January. Um, and costs spiralled along the way, which is not <laughs> good. Um, but, yeah, so uh, we got everything standing and... Yeah, January, February, and then kind of just sat there waiting for, because there's quite a lot of automation and electrical stuff that needs to be installed. And then uh, it was a new steam boiler as well. The old system was direct fire gas. New one runs on steam. So there were quite a few trades we had to line up to get. So we had to minimise downtime. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's only been, I think, in anger, it started uh, end of June, start of July, and we started operating a month later. Yeah, very start of August. Um, we were hoping for a little bit more time, but then we got orders coming in, and we we decommissioned the old brew house and uh, before we started brewing, so because that sold as well, so it's get that out of the building. So it's been a. <sighs> I've put a few greys on <laughs> the last couple of months. Well, last, yeah, last couple of months. So 
it's been stressful time and kind of was hoping to have a little bit more freeboard to uh, experiment and be allowed to make bad beer before we started making good beer, but didn't work out. We had to start making good beer straight away. So, and you've done, and you've done so. Yeah, yeah, we've um, we've learned a lot, and it's kind of like going back to learning how to brew again, kind of thing. It's been a a long uh, journey in what, a short amount of time. What's one of the biggest challenges that you have from the new brew kit? Like, what what's something which which you know, not, not it doesn't have to be too crazy, but is there is there a part of it which which has been really yeah hard to get your 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 kind of your teeth around that's or so different that it's been difficult to get your head around? Hard to get your teeth around. I'm going to hang on. To yeah, that I don't know when that came out. I don't know why. Oops. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, the two systems are quite different. We've gone from a twenty hectolitre two vessel brew house to a 50 hectolitre, four vessel brew house. So in, a, in itself, the size of everything is quite different. Um, steam sounds like a nice, quiet, peaceful way mm. of, a gentle way of heating tanks. Nah, it's scary as fuck. It, yeah, that's like, what I would have thought. You know how like, haunted houses always make funny noises? It's, <laughs> I reckon it's because of steam, eh? Yeah, yeah. Actually, well, hey, I haven't mentioned it, Steve. Yeah, yeah in my head, it, it seems all peaceful and stuff. Because yeah, it's like you know, it's, it's like it's only a little bit hotter than what you're trying to get to. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, there's it's no not, flames. There's no flame. Yeah, well, the flames way off in the corner of the building. It's oh hot. yeah, yeah. So the flame is still there. It's just not. Yeah, not it's just um, over there. Yeah. Yeah, when the safety valve pops on the boiler, oh, there, <laughs> it makes a noise. Do you, have, do you have like a whistle you can pull? Uh, through, you know, it, old school style. It's it's a lot louder than a whistle. <laughs> oh no, I'm just saying, but do you have one like <laughs> you should just you it, it would be pretty cool actually. It would be it would be quite cool. Um, but there's enough scary noises to, to go with. Oh, the whistle's just fucking popped. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that's yeah. the. Oh, sorry, you go ahead. Oh, we've got like one tank where it's like off to the side, so there's like this leg. Uh, and it's like well, HLT, so all that hot water. So it goes reasonably regularly, but sometimes it'll sit for ages before it goes. And then if it sits for ages before it goes, I think you get condensation in that line, and all that has to go through the valves. And it sounds like a like V8 fucking race car starting up <laughs> every time it goes. Uh, first time you hear it, you're like, holy shit, <laughs> what's going wrong? And then you just get used to it. So it's just you, like all these new pictures. Like, yeah, I think it's one of the things as a brewer, you're attuned to noises you're not used to hearing because that means something's going wrong. So you hear, you're, uh, if I hear a drip somewhere, I'm, yeah, that's something, something's, running, running something's wrong. Yeah, yeah, running liquid's bad. Yeah. So a noise that you're not used to, it like really stands out. And so these are a whole heap of new noises that I've had to get used to. So, so I'm constantly on edge hearing, oh, oh just a comment It's fine. So it's been, that's why I've probably, yeah, aged a couple of years in the last couple of months. Um, yeah, I, I feel yeah. like we've done 
Sorry, sorry, Coach. I, oh, no, no, I really uh, want to talk more about this, but let's, I feel like we've done one of our classic things, which is yeah, we forgot to talk beer. about the beer. Let's, let's, Start the uh, conversation, and we haven't spoken about the beer. So, yeah. argument. Yeah, good, good point. Um, and also, I've got to say, this one we did chat about back in episode 51. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, go back and check the archives. As we've said, it's unbelievable to us. There's 150 episodes in the bank now. Uh, but go back and check out our first conversation, which includes a real deep dive into this haze. But um, Warren, do you just want to lead us through a couple of questions about this, just so we can bring ourselves back up to speed on What's a beer that is tasting delicious right here at the moment? Everyone in the Zoom room who's joined us is saying similar in the chat. Um, what, Hamish, in that 150 episodes, what, how, how different is it? We, we said the 20th of, we had August 2020, so two years ago. Holy schmoly. Um, What's changed with this guy in two years? It's still, I, I'm going to butcher the name of the hops, and I did it last time as well, I think. Uh, so the mosaic and Murtueka. I don't know, man. <laughs> um, what's so are they to, they're both the same? Has anything else changed? What's oh, there's a whole new brew system, I suppose. So volumes are different, but yeah, what, what's changed in terms of the recipe? Actually, uh, nothing's really changed. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased to say this has been one of the um, I guess, oh, devices recipe way back probably, yeah, prior to 2020. I can't remember how long we've actually been making the beer, but it's never changed over the time. So I guess it's a good thing. Um, we actually packed, uh, we started packing a 10,000 litre tank of this today. Um, and it's, it's probably the first time we've made it off the new system and it's tasting yep. bang on. So I was, yeah, super happy that we've managed in the two months we've been going. It's definitely been a few things that have been different. Yep. But we've kind of uh, learnt how to work with that and get everything kind of back to the same that we're trying to achieve. So mm-hmm. I'm pleased to say nothing's changed. Excellent. Well, that's, that's pretty amazing, though, because we often yeah. hear from brewers that the hops they get access to and things like that's changed. Different brew kits is, you know, often you know leads to different tastes as well. So pretty amazing. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're pretty lucky. We we do we do selection on our hops for the at least for Mochaweka. Um It's a, a big part of uh, the well, a big hop that we use for a lot of our beers. So we we can we've got a little more control over just getting what you get, and then the mosaic we also contract years in advance, so we've got um, pretty good supply. And so we're I guess from that perspective we've got it does change the um, the hop over the, from season to season as it's a grown crop, but yeah. we've got a little bit more control over just being given what we get, I guess. Um, do, does this, does, does a beer like this kind of sit even like, so, so nothing's changed. You feel good about it. In terms of a brewery, do you just, const, do you just continuously feel, all right, yep. Um, this is like bread and butter. This is just the normal kind of 
rhythm of how you you brew so so i i suppose i'm i'm just trying to get a sense of, of is, do you still do you guys still get excited about brewing this is it something which which or is it kind of like yeah this is an old faithful we've we know what we're doing we'll just smash down do it apart from the fact that it's new brew house i guess um from that perspective it's more of a yardstick like because we've made it we make it all the time going to a new kit it means that we've got to be even more uh, mm-hmm. I guess precious about trying to maintain what it was so uh, I wouldn't say we just go and smash it out we like think probably harder about trying to um, maintain our core bears than we do for new one-offs because they're all brand new so haven't yep. been in the market there's no we're allowed to miss what we're aiming for with those kind of things yep. whereas a core beer um we probably um care more about uh maintaining what it was or what we were trying to achieve so yes we, we get more stressed i guess over um trying to achieve something that's already out in the marketplace yep. and keep that continuous that makes total we'll sense. make it better we're always trying to make it better yeah, uh, maybe minor tweaks, but uh, usually more process tweaks than than recipe. Yep. Um, <clears throat> what do the well, the all right? So two definitive hops. What do can you tell us about those hops and what they bring to the beer itself? Like what yes. what's trying to achieve? Yeah, so Mochirica, um is a real nice lemon lime citrus kind of real light citrus. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that's giving us, yeah, that real light citrus ar- aroma and flavor. And then mosaic is a real nice kind of, it's a real good biotransformation hop. It's got a lot of uh, precursor elements um, to it that give it that real tropical mango and a rich yep. mango. Uh, passion fruit kind of pawpaw, I guess. Um, yeah, good thick tropical fruit. Um, mm. So that gives up the the main backbone of the flavour, I guess. I think it'll be fun to taste that alongside, or you know, sort of straight after the antivirus. I suspect some people in the room might have already moved on to that. Um, mm. So while people open up their antivirus. Uh, and get that ready to taste. The, the question I wanted to ask sort of in transition and having listened back to episode 51 today was the, the beer that we started out last time uh, was the undercurrent Pilsner. And we, we spoke a lot about the fact as hosts that we hadn't really had uh, many Pilsners on the show at that stage. And even though it's not something we're going to be tasting tonight or it's included in the pack, I was really interested just to sort of hear your reflections on how that style has come on in the last couple of years. Certainly here in Melbourne, Australia, it's um, a much more popular style uh, and particularly amongst brewers and breweries, something we're seeing a lot more of than two years ago. Um, yeah, for me, definitely. Like, um, I'd, mm, uh, day-to-day, I'd grab a Pilsner. Uh, I don't know that it's as commonplace in the market or the hazies are definitely kind of haven't fallen away, but there's a resurgence 
back to kind of um, clear IPAs now over in, in New Zealand. Um, sort of West Coast style or? Yeah, West Coast style, definitely. Um, so it, the hazy is definitely not dead. Um, but that said, I think uh, the market is beginning to shift towards more clear beer. Um, that hasn't translated to Pilsner sales as, as such, but they've always had their place for the, I guess, non-craft drinker. The undercurrent was always one of our biggest sellers um, in the brew pub before we moved along. Um, and, uh, I mean, we've still got a contract on the taps in the place, so they still go through a fair amount of undercurrent and then just uh, we have a 4% lager as well that is a, probably the biggest seller in the pub. So it, that, that kind of beer has always had its place as, I guess, a gateway to craft or a safe beer for people who may not necessarily be into craft that can't get a Heineken because we don't sell that at our bar. Um, so it's it's been a big seller, but it probably hasn't been a big grower, I guess, would be the... Um, but for me, like, uh, and and all the other brewers, when we're packaging a lager or undercurrent, they're the most popular days to be around the kinning line. Good work in the line, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, just, uh, it's, it's like flies to... Um, to done. a canning line. <laughs> yeah. No, that wouldn't go anywhere yeah. near yeah, Let's so move it, on to the antivirus, so, but, because um, I'm really keen to sort of, have my taste buds experience, you know, the haze and the, uh, you know, the mosaic in there next to the haze, I'm sorry, next to the antivirus and uh, the mosaic in this one to see what flavours we can get that are similar. Ah, that great sound of a beer can being opened. (laughs) It's good that I always take the mic with it, (laughs) opening a can. (laughs) You're a true professional. We've never said otherwise. I mean, that said, you are drinking out straight out of the can. Is that something you'd recommend? Um, well, I don't have a tip out for my glass, so my glasses. Neither do I. Apparently busy. <laughs> yeah, well, glasses full of haze, but I thought I'd better move on to the beer. Yeah, Good man. So, Talk us through this beer. Give us an idea about what we should be seeing in the glass, <laughs> what we should be smelling as we dip our noses into it, and um, obviously how it tastes. Yeah, so I guess the... You say mosaics, common between the two beers. It's a different use of mosaic. So when we're using it in a hazy, we're using we're dry hopping really early, trying to get biotransformation of the compounds to give us that kind of mango rich um, tropical aroma. On the antivirus, we dry hop way later. So kind of fermentation is pretty much over. So the yeast aren't active to biotransform those compounds and it's different yeast as well. So we're for, we get kind of a more, I guess, berry, berry um, out of the mosaic for this. Again, it's like a real solid backbone um, that underpins and lets the other hops shine. So there's Idaho 7 and Citra, and, and the, the Citra is giving us like a real big citrus and from Idaho 7, kind of a passion fruit. So that's what we're looking for in this beer. 
And so those hops are added at sort of the equivalent time as to what the mosaic was in the previous yeah, so year? Yeah, they're all like, uh, so, so haze would be dry hops, so kind of day three is what we're targeting, and then for antivirus, everything goes in day seven. So kind of maybe like a day or so left in fermentation before we're adding the hops for, for IPA. Lee in the uh, in the Zoom room here is saying so much passion fruit. Um, I think the you know the mangoiness and others. There's there's a number of really competing flavors there, and it almost feels like if you'd have given me this beer without letting me look at it, I wouldn't have picked it as being as clear as it is. So how do you achieve that? Because people are probably far more used now to those sort of semi hazies than they are to to a beer that is absolutely sparklingly clear in my glass. Um, it's probably, I guess, timing of additions. I know a lot of IPAs these days uh, move away from kind of earlier kettle additions because you kind of, it's all about big aroma, um, kind of hitting in the nose before you drink the beer. But I've always been a big fan of um, giving, uh, I guess, earlier kettle additions to kind of make that flavour really pop as well because the aroma aroma goes away. Uh, it's volatile, so it's uh, the first thing to despair. So for a beer to hold its form while it ages, I like to have yeah. um, the flavours more locked in with um, earlier kettle additions. So. Um, <clears throat> this is uh, this beer is obviously a bit of a shout out to um to healthcare workers uh which which is really yeah which i find really interesting um is there a particular reason like is it part of the does that form part of what what deep creek are about uh when when you go do a beer like this um yeah i guess from as a a few perspectives to that uh we deep creek uh, are really big on being part of the community and um, or giving back to the community that we, we live in because, I mean, it's really important, I think, as a business to uh, know where you sit and, um, yeah, give thanks for uh, people that uh, are in the community. So, yeah, that's definitely a big part. Um, the beer itself, we was our entry to the West Coast IPA Challenge, which is a um, IPA competition in Wellington. It's been it's been going for about at least 10 years now. Um, and so uh, the first batch of this actually didn't, uh, it failed to ferment. So <laughs> we, we wound up not making the competition because we had to dump it. But, uh, and like we, through the kitchen sink at it, trying to make it work, but it, it didn't. So um, we missed the competition. And I guess at the time we are in, uh, Auckland was in uh, lockdown. Or, mm-hmm. So uh, it seemed like when we finally got to launch it, Auckland was locked down. And uh, so it, it seemed like a good time to pay homage to the healthcare workers and yeah, we donated the profits from the beer for the first couple of batches 
healthcare workers in Auckland who were going through a much tougher time than uh, anyone else and, and lockdown was. Uh, rest of the country wasn't locked down, so they were uh, having a great time. Uh, Auckland was locked down pretty much from mid-August to just before Christmas. So um, it was definitely a tough time for breweries in, in Auckland and hospital in Auckland, even probably more so than breweries because at least we could sell beer. And then, yeah, even worse, healthcare workers who are dealing with um, sick people and dying people. So, yeah, the, the least we could do, we thought, was to um, make a beer and give something back to the community or yeah. give back, something back to the people who are going through tougher times than us. Um, I thought now we might we might move on a little bit and come back to, to you, Hamish. Um I can't remember. I, I, unlike David, didn't listen back to the other one. Uh, how did, how did you, how did you get to where you are? Okay, so you knew the, you knew the, um, the original guys who, the original Deep Creek crew. But, but yeah, where, where did your uh, brewing journey start? What, what's, where did it all, where did it all begin? Yeah, so I. I started as a home brewer. I think I started brewing probably around 2003, mm-hmm. 2002, 2003, somewhere around there. I was before I was, uh, I was always interested in beer, but before I was professionally interested in beer, I was a scientist, mm-hmm. um, which means you're professionally interested in pretty much everything. Yep. <laughs> um, and yeah, in 2002 or something, I read there was some article free beer, someone put a recipe up on for something. I was like, oh my God, I don't even know how beer's made. This is disgraceful. I'm like, I really, it's like, I love beer. Why do I not know how it's made? So I started looking into it. I was like, oh, holy shit. This is, this is like so scientific. <laughs> it's, I, I can't even believe, um, I can't even understand how people discovered how to do it. So it's like um, pretty much any scientific paper you read, you like, how the hell did they think of this? Uh, yeah. yeah. It, or any recipe uh, I've got to say for anything, like the idea that someone started making souffle without sort of figuring out, you know, how that did before that happened. So it's always some sort of accident that someone pays attention to. That, yeah. It's um, yeah, most of the big discoveries are probably um, missed 50 times and then someone pays attention and say, like, oh, why the hell did that happen? Olives are delicious once they've been in salty water for a month. Yeah, exactly. Um, or we have these karaka berries, and yeah, like, they're yep. poisonous, but you can eat them if they're treated like the right way. It's like who figured out? Uh, <laughs> yeah, not the first like, person to eat them. <laughs> yeah, everything everything's edible once, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So I was in the I worked for Fonterra, biggest dairy company in. Well, the only dairy company in New Zealand, pretty much, uh, big one. Um, I worked on dairy genetics, trying to make uh, or discover new proteins in milk that would have um, become new products or new fats, whatever. Um, in 2012, uh, the company was kind of a subcompany of Fonterra was uh, the department I was working in was disestablished. So I got um, paid to leave, which was good. 
And so I approached uh, my former homebrewing friends, Paul and Jared, who set up Deep Creek uh, about um, contract brewing some beer for myself to so I could start my own kind of beer brand. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, why don't you, we're actually after a head brewer at the moment, why don't you come and join us and you can make your own beer along the way, it'll be great. And so, oh, yeah, sounds good, I'll do that. So I uh, yeah, joined in February 2013 and spent all my time making, turning Deep Creek around from making terrible beer to making good beer or acceptable beer to good beer to great beer. So, um, yeah, I guess I turned from a scientist into a, a more applied scientist and a, a brewer. But, yeah, what, are the, what, are the, what are the founders up to? Because, Hamish, you're always the one who comes and spends time with us and we love <laughs> and appreciate that. Are they, are they on some gondola in Venice or, you know, oh. somewhere in the Bahamas? <laughs> Uh, actually, they're not going to listen to this, so you can slag them off as much as uh, you want. Well, no, we, we had a management meeting this morning. Uh, Jared uh phoned in from his place in Nicaragua. <laughs> I, I think you're actually being serious, aren't you? <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, so he spends part of his time, well, maybe uh, 50 to 70 percent of his time in Nicaragua. And then rest of the time is over here. But yeah, he's he's slowly trying to take over a small town in Nicaragua. And uh, yeah, if you're listening at home, that wasn't the answer I was expecting. By the way, <laughs> I know you're pretty close though with Venezuela. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it uh, explains why we're getting more of a coffee theme in some of the stouts. Uh, yeah, good point. Or use uh, Ecuadorian chocolate and then Colombian coffee. um and then paul uh is is on the in the building day to day so both uh still well involved with the business and jared may live in nicaragua but i don't think he's ever taken probably longer than 30 seconds to reply to a really important phone call or question or something i've had for him even though, even with the time difference, he, I don't think he ever sleeps. So, um, yeah, both uh, still well invested in the business and and running it. Um, that's that's really yeah, that's good to hear. Nickel Wackle. <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, so- bit more, bit more to the story, but I'll uh, maybe later. Yeah, no, that's one of those things that you can find out if you're in the Zoom room on a Thursday night after we turn off the recording bit. (laughs) A great reason to uh, to come and join us in the Zoom room live. Check out our Facebook and everything else so that you can join us live. We love the fact that you download the podcast, particularly all of you in Japan. We're going to shout out to our Japanese listeners tonight. Uh, A great reason to come and join us. Well, we're back here in the Zoom room, uh, back on the recorded portion of things. You've missed about 10 or 15 minutes if you're listening to the podcast version. 
where we have ranged over any number of topics, some great questions uh, about beer and so many other things uh, that we're not going to talk about on the recorded version. That's why it's great to join us live in the Zoom room. Thank you to everyone who's done that tonight. Thank you to everyone who's already invested in our Oktoberfest pack. Uh, It sounds so awesome. I can't wait to be joining everyone online for those beers. Mr Warren Wu... What's even more exciting than all of that right now is that we have a Gemini chocolate milk stout in the glass. Mm. Do you want to lead the way in with this beer, please, brother? Yeah. Um, Hamish, first of all, is like the first thing that hits me is I, I expected, I don't know why I expected a bigger beer than what it is. And this is in a really great way. Like it's, it, it just has a nice dry finish, which kind of makes it a little bit moreish. Is that a is that what you had in mind when you when you guys put this beer together? Yeah, definitely. Um Jim and I being twins, we designed this with a pear beer that was uh a pale chocolate beer. Mm-hmm. Um and we I didn't, didn't realise that when I was ordering the pack, can I yeah, say? Yeah, so, sorry, realize... sorry to bring it up, but this, this is no the... no absolutely you're you're right to it's it. In, and it's in the story. So yeah, we didn't want to make one that was a big imperial chocolate beer, which, I mean, uh, as we discussed in the non-recorded part, we have another... Don't tell them what they've missed out on. No, you've got to tease it. Next time, stay for the middle bit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the I guess the idea was uh, a 5% stout chocolatey so and wouldn't outshine the because we couldn't make a beer that big uh and pale i guess um for the for the twin so it had to be yeah twins are born at the same time they're the same size yeah is that right i don't know i haven't i haven't had twins so (laughs) We've done a lot of dad jokes in the uh, I thought let's let's do something a little out of the ordinary. Oh, uh, like what? Let's get Naomi to ask a question. Naomi, would you like to ask a question? <laughs> And it's great, Naomi and Pete, but fantastic. Yeah, they're great. Um, we love them to death. And, and a good ex- a good excuse for me while they're getting themselves ready, just to say <laughs> we've got room for four or five uh, audience questions uh, at most. So people have questions they want to ask the team from Deep Creek about uh, the specific beers we're having tonight or just more generally. Now's the time to type them into the chat and we'll allocate those and we'll go from there. Sorry to cut across for that little public service announcement. It's a good thing, Warren, that I've worked out the wording for the question <laughs> already, so you're, you're lucky. You. All right, Hamish, we did hint at this before, hint, hint. Um, so Gemini, it contains cocoa nibs based on the description. So why does it give more than just a chocolate flavour, chocolate notes to the beer? Why we also got that coffee sort of notes to it as well, even though there's no coffee in it? Good question, Naomi. Thanks for asking. Um, so the coffee will definitely be coming from 
the roast barley we use in the stout. So roast barley, coffee, uh, they're both highly toasted kind of um, one's a toasted bean, coffee bean, one's a toasted grain of malt. They, they have similar, that's a similar process. They have similar kind of flavors, even though coffee and malt are completely different things. And then with the, the chocolate um, that we use as well, the cacao is another roasted bean. So there's kind of roasted elements are what are giving the, the coffee flavors to the beer. Awesome. Great description. Um, <clears throat> so Gemini, let's go back just very really quickly. Oh, no, let's stick. Actually, no, let, let's do the right thing and stick with the theme that Naomi's brought us on. Um, Matacana chocolate. What the heck is Matacana chocolate? And uh, tell us a bit about it. Yeah, so uh, we, with, um, I guess, our beers, we like to collaborate with uh, other producers in, in, in our area. Matacana mm-hmm. is uh, about uh, half an hour north of us. And I think there's still classes Auckland. Um, so they're a boutique chocolate producer. Um, we contacted them. They were really keen to be involved with a, a chocolate beer um, or chocolate beers as we wound up making for, the series, for this um, iteration. Um, they're just like us. They're, I guess, a small producer trying to make the most awesome product they can make. So um, they have a real intense passion for chocolate. We have an intense passion for beer. Where do they source uh, their cacao from? Is it like somewhere in Nicaragua, for instance, or is there some sort of... Um, I, I believe these uh, cacao beans are from Ecuador. Mm. Um, but, it's a long uh, way from Nicaragua, I think, just to be it's not, it's not far, not far. It's a little I was bit trying to help. I was trying to help there. Down the, down the continent, I guess, different to the next continent. Yeah. Um, no, so we've made quite a few chocolate beers over the years. And uh, so we've used cacao nibs a fair bit. But the, the ones we got for this beer are like so much more fresh, intense um, flavor, aroma. Um, it was completely different. It was like uh, getting, uh, I guess, uh, uh, a loaf of bread in a in your plastic bag versus going to the boutique bakery and getting a like sourdough, like, yeah. like the the flavour and aroma we got out of these things was uh, amazing. So we're, I was pretty happy that uh, our marketing team. Uh, chose a, a good partner to, to work with there because we got a way better raw material source for the spare and, and ongoing as well. So um, that's always good when, because I mean, half the battle with these making beers like this is getting the um, best raw materials you can to make the beer you want to make. Um, so yeah, they've. Uh, They've, they've done my job for me there, which is great. Is, it, <clears throat> is there a secret you can share about how you apply the 
those amazing cocoa nibs? Like, is there something you could tell us about about what the secret would be to, to get I mean, that? Yeah, I guess from my perspective, that's pretty. That's pretty simple. We just chuck them in the tank. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, we, we, I guess we wait for the fermentation to die down. We, uh, we put them in the tank and they they rest on the on the beer or under the beer until it tastes. We get enough chocolate out of it, and then we transfer the beer off and move it along. So, yeah, we, I guess we're dosing the tank till it tastes right, and then um, then the beer is ready. Um, is there a what's I've always I always wonder like before before you before you add the nibs to the beer so before it sits in tank or there is it what like what's the beer like beforehand what do you have when you start is it is it missing like do you brew a beer like this to have uh, something missing from it. That is then filled in with the chocolate, so you've got like so you kind of yeah. Where what's the process with the with the primary stout that you've built? That you've how, do we, how do we decide what flavor we're going to add or how much flavor we're going to add? Uh, I mean, the base beer is good beer, like it's going to be, and I guess we brew it to be complementary to the flavor that we're trying to add in as well. Yep. Um, could we make the base beer a beer by itself? I, I would think probably. I mean, it's a it's a dry stout kind of yep. with chocolate added. So I think yeah. So put another way, like is your is the base your, beer would stand alone? I think I guess. Yep. Sorry, but. if you if you would make a if you make a a coffee stout, then no, I'm assuming you add coffee or something in a similar way. Um, is it a different base beer? Yeah, would I change my base there? Um, or do you tweak it? Yeah, is there, are there tweaks that are made? For it? And, and, and to ask the same question in different ways, like, you know, how do you know what's going to come out of the tank or how confident are you that you've got the mm. base right <laughs> and you can play with the things you put on top of it? Oh, no, uh, I worry a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell from my grey hairs that I'm worried. I've uh, got to say, I genuinely for for listeners who aren't in zoom room i can't see a gray hair on you mate you're, oh, you're mate, seriously a bit of air. look at that look at that it's a... <laughs> and we've said uh on the on the label there that there's sort of bourbony flavors there i've got to say i've got mine out of the fridge just before this probably didn't do it justice in letting it warm a little bit those sort of bourbony flavors you know where what part are they coming from yeah so there is probably um I don't know if it's out on the label, but there's uh, there'll be some vanilla in here as well. This vanilla accentuates chocolate. So, and those vanilla flavors are what? Um, basically, vanillins are a, a barrel component that give bourbon its flavor as well. So, yeah, vanillins, I guess. Mm. Excellent. Um, we. We love another great label here and we love a, a theme and a range. Um, we've got other beers from what is clearly a Zodiac range uh, in our tasting packs. Uh, many of us have tasted a few of those. Uh, can I just sort of ask, what's the inspiration behind that entire range and line? Um, 
Yeah, uh, I don't want to be as cynical to say that it gives us um, a way of doing a monthly release. <laughs> don't but, be that cynical, then. I can edit that out. Trust me. I'm editing well, some stuff out I mean, on my behalf. I'm happy to edit that out on your behalf. In our, in our uh, form of product range, we've done monthly releases on Hazy Bears, and it mm. makes it, it's, and then we went away from it. It just makes it really hard on a, for the sales side of the business to uh, get a new product, sell it, and next month it's another one. Um, especially when they're all the same type of beer, like hazy IPA kind of thing. It's a new one every month. Uh, so this is, it's been good for the brewing team, definitely, because we get, uh, I guess the backstory is we've um, gone in New Zealand to self-distribution. So formally we had to get uh, permission or approval from our distributor that they want, would take the beer to sell. Uh, right. Now now it's on our own back to sell the beer so we can take the risks that we're prepared to take mm-hmm. rather than what another company is prepared to take. So it's led to where we would have probably done 12 hazy IPAs in a year. Uh, in this series, we've done one, which was the first one, Aries. And then we've made, uh, what have we done? Fresh Hop was one of them. Uh, a red IPA, Hop Oil Red IPA. The Jim and I, we did two, two chocolate beers. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not very good with star signs, even though I've made them. Is that, I think the, so is the red IPA, is that one the, is that the Taurus? That, which I think that, is in the pack uh, red IPA is the cancer, cancer. I oh, think yes, yes. In, uh, it seems to have been a low-hanging fruit, like Zodiac. It's a monthly thing. Everyone wants to do it, but no one wants to put out a beer called cancer. And we were like, eh, what, what's so bad about cancer? It's like a something that a lot of people face. Yeah. Uh, why is it this big taboo? So yeah, and so we decided to do it. Uh, we're not like unique. Uh, other people have done um, a, a zodiac range, but uh, it, it seemed like a, a way to do a monthly release, do new art around everything as well. Uh, so it's not like all the labels don't tie together; they're just individual pieces of art, which. Um, I think it looks really cool and um, means we can do different beers. I've done a Belgian triple. There's no way I would have been allowed to do a Belgian triple um, under our distributor previously because they wouldn't have known how to sell it or wanted to sell it. So I've been uh, really happy that we've uh, come up with a new range or a new way to make these new beers and been allowed to make new beers that are, in some ways, more traditional beers. The Belgian triples are one of the most traditional beers you can make. So mm. um, instead of just uh, playing it safe and making what you think everyone wants to drink, we've made stuff that is traditional and we like to drink. And some of those beers have uh, sold better than we would have predicted. So that's been really good. And it's probably just... Uh, there's a time in the industry where people are 
sick of the same old and looking for new stuff or and new stuff may be stuff that's uh thousands of years old or at least hundreds of years old maybe not thousands but um so yeah i think it, it's been a, a revelation um it's definitely yeah i i guess i can't believe they trusted in me to make some of these things. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that uh, some of the people who doubted have uh, been surprised how well that some of the beers have gone. So it's been good. There's a whole podcast in itself, that discussion around uh, selling your own beer as opposed to using a distributor because yeah, you're absolutely right. There's, there's just a disconnect because a distributor might not have the capacity to tell you that story about that style that you're drinking. So, yeah. They've got their own um, business interests and they may, yeah. may not align with yours all the time. So, yeah. and that's, that's totally fine. That's hmm. what it is. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, timing probably wasn't great. We, mm-hmm. we would have... Uh, not like to have done this at the same time as putting in a new brew house because we had to hire a sales team and pay for a brewery and sell at the same time. It's been uh, financially challenging. Um, but at the same time, we didn't want to be in the same position five years down the track and not control our destiny or yep. what we're doing. So, um, Hamish, I'm going to throw you the traditional cool room question and see if we've moved on from last time. And uh, admittedly, I have no idea what you, I can't remember, I can't remember, unfortunately, excuse me, what you said last time. <laughs> What's the well, It'd be interesting to go back and listen to episode 51 <laughs> and everyone at home. Yeah, you should. You at least get like, you'll probably get me and Hamish. So that's two more downloads for an episode we did two years ago. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, wow. Suggest the, suggest the podcast to your friends. That's why we get to do some great events like the ones we'll be announcing soon. Yeah. Or the one that we did at, at um, Bonehead, which was really good. I was And co-conspirators and Black Arts coming up. Oh, yeah. We got them too. Yeah. That but, might be for subscribers only, I've got to say. And we got to – one day we have to go to New Zealand. I, I really would love to – Spend some time hanging out in New Zealand. But anyway. All right. So, Haim, what is the most awful, gut-wrenching, smelly, volatile thing you've ever seen in a cool room? Slash volatile. Yeah. Like someone, like, leaving a a, a butane canister uh, in the cool room. I don't know. It's like, what's the what's the most fucked up thing you've seen in a cool room? I don't know. Uh, the thing that instantly springs to mind, it's not even that fucked up, but what it is is when you go in through a pallet uh, beer, uh, we have like our um, most common pallet over here is 1 by 1.2, but you have 1.2 metre forks on oh, yeah, your yeah, forklift. Yeah. Yeah. So you're through the pallet 200 if you're picking it up properly and you're also kind of tilted back so the forks are sticking up 
Mm-hmm. And so have a full pallet of beer. Yeah. Wrapped, wrapped up for export. Mm-hmm. And then usually some of your, I guess, least, no, they're not the least skilled people, but they're like, uh, not the, not your highly skilled, uh, high, most highest skilled? paid, motivated people driving the forklifts. And they'll drive and then try and put the pallet right by the pallet behind it. And they'll mm-hmm. pop two two cases of beer on the bottom of the pallet. Yeah. Wrapped up, ready for export. And it only pops like a couple of cans. Yeah. Right on the bottom. And um, it's, uh, it's a massive amount of work to like restack the entire fucking unstick, yeah. There's no yeah. way of just lifting and just like sliding no, no, you can't. In another one, no. No, no, well, exactly. So yeah, it's yeah. it's not really that bad, but it's super annoying. <laughs> I actually really like that answer because it just sums up what you know what I do when I'm moving beer around in the shed in the cool room, sort of at you know eleven o'clock at night after one of these recordings. It's just like I just want this to be done, you know, just simple logistics, and yeah. then I stick a knife in a can by mistake or something like that. Uh. I don't think I actually and, told the story of Yulies last week, but the reason we had the lineup that we did for the Yulies beers last week was because I accidentally knifed a couple of the double IPAs and so couldn't include them in the packs. So I didn't have that one. I'd sold all the packs and then sort of... And then you shivved a couple of beers. Yeah, and then and just sort of... And literally just sort of sat on one of the chairs in the shed and went... I'm just going to sit here for a while and contemplate my life. And then, and then I'll get back to work. Which I imagine. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be fair, I've I've done this exact same thing: loading a container, uh, last pallet to go in, and knifed a, a pallet behind and just gone. Oh, <sighs> oh well, that's a, that. Yep. That's a credit we're going to have to give to a distributor in the street. <laughs> so I'm not fucking restacking that. That's a great answer. I reckon that we're about ready to move on to audience Q&A. We've got a whole lot of people uh, lined up for this. Fantastic to see so many people, including lots of new friends. Uh, feel free to come and join us on a Thursday night. You don't need to be one of the established people to come and ask a question. We're about to prove that by having some new friends asking some questions Lee, who has strategically uh, deployed himself as far away from New Zealand as he could possibly manage, has not one, but I believe two questions. Lee, please unmute yourself and ask your questions for Deep Creek. Okay, my questions are, how's the barrel aging program going and are there any new barrel aged sours on the horizon? Um, yeah, I guess, uh, with the new brewery is, I guess, been a, a hiatus in the development of our sour program. Um, that said, uh, we, we did release a couple of new sours this year around the time of the Australian Beer Awards that, uh, got gold medals. So they were I guess brand new releases this year. Um, we've got another peach sour planned for release, 
uh, when we get around to packaging it sometime this year, sometime hopefully this year. Um, but yeah, I guess that whole range is going to take a little bit of a because it's all designed. Well, I guess our fermenter that we use for our sour beers is 2,000 litres and our brew system is 5,000 litres now. So it's uh, probably do a bit of a review and I guess it's not a main focus for us. It's always, I guess, been a bit of a, although successful, a little bit of a side project. Man, is that going to be bad news for Lee, or what? You know, what what can you give Lee? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it will definitely. I mean, it's a uh, high priority for me, but I'm only one voice. <laughs> um, if yeah, I'd love to find a way to make it uh, keep going, and it, I'm sure it will because it's, it, it's definitely a big part of Deep Creek making those sort of beers. Um, and, so yeah. if we, if we, for instance, get a kayak and go out into the middle of the ocean, pull up that <laughs> big transmission line that goes between Nicaragua and New Zealand, <laughs> there must be a big solid bit of I two that runs through there, and, and <laughs> sever that line. Can you can you deliver a bit more for Lee? Uh, I reckon if you guys just keep on buying it over there, it'll probably <laughs> do more than that. <laughs> Gee, that's a that's a very sensible answer. Much more sensible than the question itself, as in my Dem- question. Demand will drive supply. <laughs> There's our t-shirt. There's our mm. t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Great questions, Lee. We're going to move on to. Well, I was going to move on to pots. Are you there, pots? Or have you wandered away? Maybe just for legal reasons, pots doesn't feel able to ask his question just now. That'll give us an excuse to move on to Jacob if Jacob's ready to unmute. And he's got a couple of questions in the uh, in the bank and ready to go as well. Uh, thank you, David, and, and thank you, Hamish, for joining us. I always love the Deep Creek beers. These are always just never a disappointment for us. Um, so uh, maybe I'll just ask one question first, then I'll skip to the next one once you've answered it. So just quickly, with the can art on your um, our dark beer we just had, um, it has a spaceman on it, and, a, and it's a Gemini. And so I was thinking of the Gemini space program. Was that anything conscious from the brewery or just the artist, or is there any links there to the space program? Um, it was definitely, uh, I don't know if it was specifically the Gemini space program, um, uh, but, yeah, the I guess the time with space was inevitable with a... a constellation themed series and it we because again this was a twin series that worked really well with uh, the other one was kind of a the upside down astronaut um so yeah, two bits of art worked really again, well together. i'm sorry i didn't buy both of them my bad sorry sorry David. i'm sure they're still around <laughs> um so yeah it it works really well to with uh, the can art to be able to have the I guess a real similar image but uh, flipped and and for a pale bear as well so kind of a different background versus I guess any other piece of art in the range is kind of wouldn't have played quite as well because it's not a negative image or a, a different twin image to go with it so yeah 
That's a good answer. Um, I, uh, I was also just going to ask, uh, you're talking about, you know, employing your local chocolate uh, maker to help with your beers. But if it was to go the reverse way and they said, hey, we want to make some special chocolate with some hops in it, you know, like some, some interesting hop flavors that might meld well, what hops would you recommend adding in chocolate and why? Oh, yeah. Good question. I don't know. <laughs> I'm neither a hop farmer nor a chocolate maker. Um, in terms of flavours that might meld well and they don't always have to match. You know, it, you it's hard because, right? I mean, a lot of the, I guess, the hot flavour that goes into beer is a kind of uh, derived flavour. It's not like if you eat a hop, it doesn't taste like the flavours you get in the beer. So I guess the obvious would be to go for something that's like super low bitterness because chocolate's quite bitter as well so i'd go for as this is lower alpha acid kind of hop that you get and probably the um something like berry or like those kind of dark fruit notes go quite well or i know um sabro although it's not low alpha but it's got like a real coconutty bourbon kind of uh, yeah yeah thing. i can see so yeah, those kind of flavours occur really well on chocolate, I think. So you want either berry or, um, yeah, coconut. I have to warn you, sabro is a bit of a triggering word for a lot of people in this room, but I quite like it myself. Yeah, uh, I, I can't wait for the, once we've stopped recording, that might be the discussion that we have beside behind the scenes of, uh, would you would you have a sabro uh, chocolate beer? That would be a good use for it, in my opinion. Uh, I'm not a massive Sabro fan, but uh, as a we do a bit of contract brewing, and I don't think we've ever used it one of our own beers. But every time I have to approve something for packaging, and I come up to the tank and I'm like, oh, what the fuck have we done here? I go to the <laughs> recipe and say, oh, Sabro, fine. <laughs> so that's what it is. That's all right. <laughs> it's supposed to be there. You, you can you can hear exactly why we turn the recording off uh, at a certain point, my friends. But again, <laughs> come and join us live in the Zoom room uh, so you can get to participate in these conversations about which of the beers that he has to contract brew, Hamish would never drink himself. Before we do that, uh, David Craig, are you there, uh, my friend? Thank you for your support as ever. You're onto the Dusty Gringo, and I believe you have a, take, a question about that. It's a ripper of a beer. I love it deeply. And it's a, and it's a beautiful beer. I just want to uh, support Jacob. I reckon a bitter chocolate, a hoppy chocolate, that would be a really nice little Deep Creek niche, I reckon. Um, I'm on my seventh beer, so I think I'm probably a little bit, uh, well, whatever. Um, I can't fault. Normally, I'm not a natural... Um, craft beer person your range of craft beers are really outstanding so i just want to say someone mentioned in the chat that they visited your brewery can please hamish talk to the new zealand uh, tourism people about developing a a beer trail in new zealand i've only ever seen the inside of wellington airport waiting for a transfer um obviously i've got to get over there and and visit some breweries. I'm, I'm, I'm on this one now, and as a lover, a person of my age, a lover of spaghetti westerns, 
having grown up with um, uh, with Sergio Leone, I am fascinated. This is a beautiful beer, but what, why, why Dusty uh, Gringo? Please, there's got to be a backstory to this one. Uh, Dusty Gringo is actually one of our. Uh, it it predates it, correct? Dusty Gringo is one of my original home brewing recipes from the like 2000 and zeros. So uh, I, I shared my recipe to Paul and Jared years ago, and then they, um, I guess, tweaked it and made it Dusty Gringo, and that was... You, you mean tweaked but, or stole? Come on, let's... let's uh, if you, like, tweak it, it's not stealing, right? I don't know. <laughs> So they couldn't source the original hops, is that what you're saying? Well, no, I think it yeah, just moved over time. Yeah, probably sourcing hops at some point. There was a hop shortage, uh, especially for imported hops back in the yeah, early or late, late 2009 or something like that. Um, and so uh, it's, a, I guess, a recipe dear to my heart. And we, we made it as a brew pub for... A long time and then it just kind of I guess the um, world changed and we stopped making it It, or it became it's always a hard style to sound like a hoppy brown IPA or India brown ale is what we I guess the the style we called it Um, and yeah we I mean, we sent quite a lot of it over to Australia over the years, but in a completely different um, package, different labelling. Then uh, we, I think we brought it back for our 10th year but anniversary pack. We did a four-pack of some of our old beers last year and brought it back and it was well-received. And then uh, as part of our, I guess, uh, being able to make what we wanted and sell what we we made, um, we wanted to bring back some of our, I guess, hero beers that we call them. So, Dusty Gringo was the first one we we brought back, um, and we also wanted to give it some new art because uh, we thought it deserved it, and it, it just, yeah. <laughs> when we all saw the um, the proposed label, so like, oh yeah, definitely sounds like a um, copyright infringement, no, Western kind of um, uh, thing. And yeah, we're like, oh, it's got to be like Clint Eastwood or uh, at least a look like. Uh, pretty sure that's what that is. So yeah. Just while we're on little things, I'm just going to cut across. I'm still laughing at it, and mainly because my chat is frozen. But Chris has put in the uh, in the chat our next T-shirt nomination. Um, I'll try to do this in a Kiwi accent, but Sabro, nah, bro. I chose not to open that file just in case it froze my uh, feed. I know the the open that file because it's got this really lovely picture of New Zealand. With and and all the and kind of the main cities with um, the breweries, which you could you you were you'd be very excited to visit when you if you were over there. So yeah, it's a real yeah, it's a good little picture. So that one there, but yeah, Chris's comment earlier is still making me laugh. Uh, 
but just just like a stupid little kid. Anyway, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> um, you can hear we're heading towards the end tonight. We've still got two audience questions to go. We're going to go, James. Then we're going to go, Potts. James, do you want to unmute yourself and ask your question, please, brother? Thanks, David. Kia ora, Hamish. Um, really great to see you again. Um, also great to hear that we're, you know, brothers in arms about Sabro. Um, but this sort of relates to my question about, you know, your um, philosophy around the hop balance. So obviously you've talked about a lot of international hops, but also the, the local hops and whether part of your philosophy is around trying to um, showcase New Zealand hops. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, uh, it, more than fifty percent of the hops we use are New Zealand grown hops. So, uh, for us, I guess we buy from NZ Hops, um, Clayton Hops, which are uh, outside the cooperative. Um, they're probably the most, I guess, interesting provider for us because they, they're they putting in a, a lot of acreage. Uh, they're pretty much going to double the size of the New Zealand hop industry um, with their, the farms they're putting in, and they're putting in, uh, like, new. I think they've got a new processing plant going in. They've got one there now. Can you tell us a bit more about that? I might be the one who doesn't know about this, but this is, sounds like news. This is our eight sixteen scoop. So, just tell us a bit more about that organisation and what they're uh, So, Clayton, uh, I couldn't tell you how long they've been operating, but it'd be maybe like five years, I think. Um, to I guess a family operation. Um, I've met the I guess three are they brothers. I think they're three brothers. Um, yeah, they've they've bought up a lot of land, or bought up some hop farms, and then a lot of land around to put under new plantings for hops. And yeah, their aim is to basically double the size of uh, New Zealand hop industry, um, basically by themselves. So they've they've got. Um, so we buy all our Machueka off them at the moment, uh, probably maybe half of the Rewalker that we use as well. Um, yeah, so we have a, maybe two-ton contract with them per annum, which is, yeah, a, a good portion of the hops we use in a year, probably maybe about two-ton out of the US and maybe another also out of um, NZ hops uh, so they can't sell protected varieties uh, because they're protected obviously um, but they're also a supplier to NZ hops so they're I guess integral to the industry but they're also um, yeah I guess from our perspective it's really good because we can select uh, our entire year's hops and we know exactly what we're going to get um, and I mean they they care a lot about quality I'm sure 
everyone says that they, uh, or hot girls say that they care about quality, but these guys really fucking care. Um, they've got all state-of-the-art equipment. They're putting their own palletizing line as well. So they're going to be big players and well, probably the biggest player in, the, in New Zealand. Well, it might have been low limits, but I'm, I'm glad you've educated me about that because that sounds like a pretty huge development in what's going to be happening over there. Yeah, this has kind of been under the radar because, uh, yeah, I know that, I mean, they sell a lot to US breweries. Like, they're, they're, um, some of the US customers are way bigger than us and it's just a shame that COVID's gotten away because... We would have uh, got to meet all these US brewers going down and doing selection at the same time as us. So, fuck COVID. <laughs> oh, well, that's you're the only man in the world with that opinion. Yeah, I know. Selfish. Uh, go on, Jacob. Uh, Jacob. James, put up your hand. Let's, uh, let's hear you. Yeah, I was just going to ask a follow-up because um, super interesting around, you know, obviously you've got Rewaka coming in, but I wondered about you know, other hops, like I see all these experimental hops turning up and like uh, the Bruce, the Eggers, all these other things that turn up in Australian beers. And I wonder if they end up in, you know, in your general sphere and if you use them in experimental brews. Um, uh, we're, we're part of the um, experimental program over here. It's hard for us because we're, We've just kind of gone to 5,000 litres so to make, and we don't have a pilot brewery, so we can't make smaller batches, really. So for us to get in that part of the pilot program is they want to make single hot beers, uh, which we'd love to make, but getting enough of these pilot hops, a single batch for us might take the entire supply of one experimental hop for a year so we haven't worked out with um plant food or ended hops how to manage that or whether we can actually take part or whether there's some way we can um let's make a base beer and kind of uh dry hop or something with uh the experimental variety but yeah i mean i'm always keen to be involved with uh, developing new stuff and I mean, as a scientist that's a practical application of science, it's awesome and I mean uh, the chief of hop development and uh, well, the new going to be chief of hop development and plant food is a guy I used to work with in my former life as a dairy scientist so it's, uh, it's pretty good I reckon that's a really good spot to move over. I'm going to ask Potts to ask his question. Potts is a sort of relatively new listener and joiner uh, in the Zoom room. Please come and join us if you'd ever like to be part of uh, our Thursday nights. Potts denying his uh, important public roles with his nickname there, so we won't identify him more than that. Uh, and then Mr. Warren Wu will round things out for us. Let's round out this episode, my friends. Hey, Mish, um, uh, thanks for, for your time tonight. Um, I, I, I absolutely love hazy and cloudy beers. And, um, in fact, um, I'm a home brewer. I've been doing it for 
30 years or so. Um, and uh, I used to use findings until my teenage daughter said to me a couple of years ago, Dad, what, what's wrong with a cloudy beard? And I thought, shit, it's got something there. So anyway, um, I have uh, had a love affair of hazy and cloudy beers ever since. And um, I just wonder, what, what's the future of the hazy or the cloudy beer? Um, I mean, it's a good question. I, I'm not sure. I, uh, interestingly enough, uh, when I was a home brewer, probably, I think it must have been t- 2011, I made a beer with uh, London Ale 3, which is like a, the well-known hazy yeast now. And it was super hoppy, but super milky. Like, And we, were, we couldn't get over how awesome this beer tasted, but how shit it looked. And so it was It was the original hazy. And it was like Rewalker, uh it was basically, uh, I don't know how familiar everyone is with New Zealand beer, but Bookbinder by Emerson's is like the the OG craft beer, uh, Rewalker. It's like super hoppy, low ABV. And yeah, this beer tasted fucking amazing. It was like super fruity, but yeah, it was just pure milk and we just couldn't get over it. It's like, oh, I can't believe the beer tastes so good, yeah. but it looks so shit. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the Hasty's here to stay. It's a good gateway beer for people. It's got good approachability. It's like low bitterness, super fruity. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to see the Hazy going away. But it, it, I think it introduces, once you get past the approachability of it, you might be challenged to find something more like a less approachable West Coast IPA that has lots more flavour, but also bitterness and uh, other characteristics. So I think it'll always, I think Hazy's are here to stay and definitely as a gateway, they'll probably drop off in popularity. It's because people will move to other things. But, yeah, it's hard to, I don't think it, I mean, probably three years ago, people would have said that West Coasts are dead and why doesn't everyone just make hazies all the time? But I think the West Coast is now back because it's introduced a whole heap of people to, um, to craft beer and now some of those people have gone, oh, I want to try other shit. So, right. Thanks, Hamish. Uh, Hamish, just wanted to quickly ask: Have you got any projects on the go? What's still rocking with you? Have you got anything that you want to spruik outside of your good work? Outside the creek. Oh yeah. Uh, so I have my own company with uh, my wife, uh, Isthmus Brown. That mm-hmm. was the the original reason why I approached uh, Deep Creek to to make. <laughs> craft beer um and so we've been going i guess in para well my wife came on board maybe like five years ago and we've been going in parallel we've sent some beer to australia same distributor as deep creek over there um yeah isthmus brewing is our 
and then, which is a nod to Auckland craft beer, because back when we started, there was no uh, Auckland craft beer brewery that was proud to be from Auckland. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that's still on the go. We're trying to, I guess, reconcile with our 2,000 litre brewery being taken away and now we've got to make 5,000 litres at a time, which is a lot of beer. But, yeah, I mean... Was uh, there any point when you thought, oh, there's there's a 2,000 litre brewery going? Maybe maybe I could use that 2,000 litre brewery. I guess I've, I've worked on that brewery for a long time and I, hmm. I learned to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> So so we had to break up. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, it's been a massive opportunity to put in a new 5,000 litre kit with massive automation and everything. So uh, it's been really good. It, I guess it's been definitely counterproductive to my other business that wants to make beer. Um and not throw out half of it, I guess. <laughs> or it has to find a way to sell the other half, I guess. In, yeah, in reality. Um, so, yeah, that's been a challenge. Um, I think that's an interesting note to, to, to leave us this little episode on um thank you very much hamish thanks for your wonderful time at deep creek uh once again yeah is 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 shown 200 episodes on the the beers are just as good as it was 300 Lord. <laughs> sorry oh yeah 100 episodes on oh yeah 100 episodes on in two years um the the yeah Deep Creek beers are just as just as excellent and just as delicious as we as they were when we left them. Um, thank you very much for your time, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll we we'll hopefully we'll talk to you a lot sooner than two years. <laughs>